time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get through right it. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. It's Wednesday, which means, of course, coming up in about an hour, we have our two-hour weekly roundtable known as Armchair Politics. Mark Everson uh, is going to be sitting in for Henry Hatter on the right today. Uh, Mark is uh, a former head of... Uh, the IRS and uh, held a high-ranking uh, position at the INS, worked under two different Republican presidential uh, administrations, and uh, we'll have uh, our other roundtable regular uh, Paul Rosicki and uh, joining the roundtable Bobby Clayton Walton for two hours of commentary and analysis about local, state, and national news and current events. Uh, but before we do that, my guest this hour is probably best known for uh, being married to Connecticut Senator Joe Lieberman, who many may remember as uh, uh, Al Gore's uh, running mate. Um, he was the uh, on the ticket for uh, the vice presidency, and then later in 2004 ran himself for president. Um, but we're going to talk about... Uh, uh, the the interesting story contained in a new memoir called Hadassah, an American story written by Hadassah Lieberman, who joins me by phone. Hi, Hadassah. Welcome to the show. 
Good morning, Tom. Thank you for inviting me on. Appreciate it. Um, Hadassah, this is, you have an interesting story to tell, yet you have said that you don't think your story is unique. Um, I, I kind of do. <laughs> why, why is it that you think it's, it's not unique? Well, I mean, it's not unique. It's unique, I guess, when you look some of the stuff that my family went through is unique. But the story of immigrating to this country and of learning a new language and trying to fit into a new culture happens to a lot of people. So, you know, I'm saying that because I want to say things to more people than people who are just like me, my background. Well, Hadassah, your parents were Holocaust survivors um, in uh, Czechoslovakia, and your family came to the United States. But you went from being born into a family of Holocaust survivors and then being married to a candidate for president of the United States in one generation. That is not the usual immigrant experience. And, and, I'm, and I'm, not trying, right. I'm not trying to press you on that, Hadassah, but it is a very inspiring story. You know what? You have a right to press me on that because that's really the reason that I wrote this book. The culmination of it all, when I thought back and I said, oh, my God, you know, my mother in Auschwitz, my in Dachau, my father in slave labor camp during World War II, and to think I didn't know English, you know, I knew Yiddish, and all this stuff until I ended up with Joey who then ran for these national offices, and there I was out there campaigning with him with oodles of people, some of which had the Secret Service couldn't believe some of the women who rolled their sleeves up to come to the front of where I was speaking, as close as they were allowed to come, to show me the tattoos from Auschwitz. They'd never seen someone like me at something like that. So that was unique. You know, there's been a, a lot of back and forth and a lot of controversy around immigration in the United States. And we hear a phrase um, used often about a path to citizenship. You are a naturalized citizenship. What was the path to citizenship like for you? Well, it was, you know, I was a baby and when I was brought to this country and you know we were on a ship and our mother always told the story of this big ship on the seas coming to the United States after all their suffering which I talk about in the book including my mother's diary when she went to Auschwitz that I found later after she had died in piles of books, when I think about 
she said to me, you were on the ship with all of us. We were all vomiting. And the captain, I was nine months old, was dancing, twirling me around. I was the only one not seasick. So that was my first experience coming abroad and going to kindergarten and learning things. And then, this is an interesting story, and I have it in the book as well. When my father was registering me in Czechoslovakia after I'd been born, and he went to the immigration, the office, the, he said, her name is Esther, because that was my grandmother's name, and she had died during the war. And the woman there said, oh, no, that sounds like a German name. So my father immediately translated to Hadassah. He said, okay, write down Hadassah. Then we came to this country. We ended up registering in Gardner, Massachusetts. And the Catholic nuns from the community had volunteered their services with for new immigrants. Not that there were that many in Gardner, Massachusetts. The few that were there were mostly from French Canada, Canadian immigrants. Anyway, when he sat down with the nuns, he said, her name is Esther. You need to translate it. And the Catholic nuns looked at my father, who was an ordained rabbi and a lawyer, both of those things, and he decided he would remain as an ordained rabbi in the United States. And this nun said to him, Rabbi, Leave it Hadassah. It's a beautiful name. So that's how I kept my name Hadassah. So those were the points of immigration, of my immigration. When you look at those stories, that's American stories. Didn't happen in other countries. Hadassah, with a name like that, did you have a tough time... uh, uh, in grade school and in going to school in the U.S.? Well, even during the presidential campaign, people would try hard. It wasn't their fault. They just had not encountered my name. They would say Hadusa, Hasuda, <laughs> Hadass- Hadassah was a big one. So when I got up to that stage for the Democrat convention and people had my name, Hadassah, when I was introducing Joe, and everyone was saying, Hadassah, Hadassah, and they had my name on posters. I almost cried. That was, And I have a picture of that in the book as well. But those were the moments, and you can ask other immigrants whose names have been mispronounced. You know, no one knows anything about your real background. You're from such a different place. Nobody knew the foods my mother made or the language she taught, helping her call for doctor's appointments. Yes, Mommy, I'll write a thank you note. Yes, Mommy, I'll take down those notes because her English wasn't so good. And my father practicing at night in his study with a tape recorder, you know, the old-fashioned kind, yeah, to learn the English language. So he did mispronounce everything. So it's quite a difficult adventure. And, oh, I have to tell you this. I won the I Speak for Democracy contest in Gardner High School. I forget which year it was. 
and it was in the state I had, you know, entered the competition. And this man came up. He was a congressman, uh, Congressman Philbin from Massachusetts. And I was able to sit in his white car convertible and wave to the people, including my mother and <laughs> father on the side of the road. And they were so practiced. They always went to memorials. They all, you know, the events they always went to because they loved and extended thanks to America all the time that way. Um, Hadassah, is it true that you met Joe on a blind date? Yes, it's true. <laughs> my, my roommate from college, he, I don't know, I guess I was dating someone at that point just for a short time, but she didn't like him. Anything she heard about, and she said, "Hadassah, I want to introduce you to a member of our of my synagogue." And she didn't really know Joe intimately; she knew him, but he was in her synagogue. And she said, "Look, he's a nice man. Well, but he happens to be a politician, but he's a good guy." I'm thinking, "Oh my God!" You know, apologetic way of introducing me. I think that's said, funny that, well, that she felt there had to be a disclaimer for the fact that he was a politician. Oh, for sure. So I listened. Then her next one was, well, your son, who, you know, I had my six-year-old and seven-year-old when he got married, he looks a little like Joe. So I thought, what a weird introduction. Okay. So I met Joey, and we fell in love. And but, you know, we had all the stuff you do when you have children. You have to bond a family. And as I've always said to people, if you fall in love with a person who has children, just understand they can't love you totally and you them unless they really learn to love your children or child. And it turned out to be the most valid thing I ever said and thought because that really, we bonded our family because we were honest with each other. As a matter of fact, after a date, our first date or second, when my son came up to me and said, Mommy, Joe played Monopoly with me, not because of you, because of me, and I had fun. (laughs) That's charming. Cute things. Cute. That's wonderful. Um, Hadassah, I I have to take a break here in a moment, and I want to talk to you some more. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk more? Yes. Excellent. Yes, no problem. My guest is uh, Hadassah Lieberman. Her new book is Hadassah, an American Story, and we're going to hear more of that story in uh, in the next segment coming up. Um, But first, if you're listening to us on WFOV 92.1 LPFM in Flint, they are a broadcast service of the uh, Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze in a few words or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us on TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well, so don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse. More with Hadassah Lieberman about her memoir, Hadassah, An American Story, right after this. Stay tuned. 
N-O-I-D, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-Double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses. 
and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to my conversation with the author of a new memoir called Hadassah, An American Story. And uh, my guest is Hadassah Lieberman. And Hadassah, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. Oh, no, thank you. I appreciate all the work you're doing on your show. Thank you. Um, during the last segment, we talked a little bit about how you met your husband, Joe Lieberman, and blending your families, a little bit about your experience uh, um, immigrating or, uh, yeah, immigrating into the United States. Um, but I, I couldn't help noticing that you had, you went to college, got a Bachelor of Arts degree in Government and Dramatics, from Boston University. Uh-huh. That seems like an unusual combination. Am I wrong? Little there? did I know. Little did I know how helpful that combination would be. Right? <laughs> I wondered about that when I when I read that about I you. know. I was almost embarrassed. I remember after I met Jim, well, I know him when I did that. But after I met him, I said, oh, my God, look at that condo. The politician <laughs> who has to act his way through. But Joey was always, I mean, I always said, what you see is what you get with Joe. He's transparent. He's honest. Every now and then, depending on what someone's views are, they're not happy with his opinion. But it's his opinion, and he's giving it. Well, I mentioned, you know, in the introduction earlier uh, in our conversation earlier in the hour um, that Joe, of course, is Connecticut uh, senator, and um, had uh, been the Democratic nominee for vice president in uh, 2000 and mm-hmm. ran for president himself in 2004. Um, but I remember him as, as being a, a real, um, what's the word I'm looking for, a, a pivotal player in the negotiations about what eventually became Obamacare. And I found it kind of interesting that you had spent a lot of, of your life and career um, interested in and involved to some degree with health care. With health care, yes. Not so much legislatively, but when I was involved with the Susan Komen breast cancer group, that Nancy Brinker had in memory of her sister who had died of breast cancer, I tried to do things for the Coleman people as their ambassador and consequently, you know, went to Brazil to start things going and all over the place. In in Israel, I did two marches of breast cancer coming out of you know, the center of Jerusalem, walking through, and we had every nationality walking behind us, whether they were Bedouin, Arab Israeli, American, plain Israel, you know, everything, European. And it just showed me 
how we as women in particular, even though there's a small percentage of men having breast cancer, but we as women, when we come together to eradicate, to assist a bad heart, a bad illness problem, bad health problem, we can combine our interests despite the fact that we may have conflicts nationality-wise, religious-wise, political-wise, all that disappears or goes to a lesser place on our ladder of issues because we need to get together to promote healthcare wellness as we learn this year with the virus. You know, I mentioned uh, your Bachelor of Arts degree in government dramatics from Boston University, but I didn't mention that you have a master's in international relations. In the years that you were married to Joe, um, did he encourage input from you on the affairs of the day? Well, we, you know, we're a close couple, and we always talked about things. We're, you know, where we were into, so when we had time, you know, time is of essence. <laughs> was all the time. But, um, yeah, we talked about things. But, you know, look, I'm not the, the uh, mega professional that he has surrounding him, advising him, and he knows all about that stuff. But I was all, I always felt good when we could discuss things that I felt competent about. But that's true about every wife and husband who have, you know, a decent relationship and respect each other, I think. Is the role that women play as, quote, politicians, wives, changed dramatically in, in the years you've been part of it oh yeah oh i think so it was so strict all the time jobs i didn't take things i didn't do because i was told well can't do that that's not good you know when joe was in office it was different plus i didn't hear some of the language that we've heard recently on the streets faming each other i mean we need to be together to make legislation that it comes out of compromise. Otherwise, you don't get the votes. But there seems to be an attitude of people going against each other and not being able to sit down. There are so many instances I see where people will not sit down with someone for a cup of coffee if they don't agree with their political views. They just don't. They only want to talk to people who have the same views as them. And that's dangerous. How do you expect yourself to broaden and be educated? And maybe you talk to someone who doesn't agree, and in the process, they may convince you and you them. So we have to work more at raising our children to have better understanding and to be more tolerant of each other and obedient of each other. Yeah, I've I've always thought that if if you didn't listen to other points of view, how do you ever learn anything? Right. I totally agree with you. 
And that's been amazing to me because leaders are supposed to lead. They have to be there asking us to follow some of their beliefs or to listen to different sides of the issue. My husband's chairing the No Labels group, which is really working so hard on trying to make the point, particularly to some of the people in Congress who are working together trying to get a base of more tolerance and understanding and compromise, which is who we are as Americans or who we should be. In many ways, Hadassah, you wear several different hats. You represent a number of um, different groups in our society. You're an immigrant. You're Jewish. You're a woman who has been involved with uh, public life through Joe's various offices and campaigns. And, and, and I'm wondering how much of each of those identities of yours and I didn't even mention mother and grandmother and wife and you know all yeah. the other things yeah. Um, yeah but how much of those different personalities of yours or the different roles that you play do you talk about in the book and and what are some of the things that that stand out most when you try to look at yourself in an autobiographical way You know what? All of the things you mentioned are part of me and a lot of other women, obviously, in our country, in the world. But these are all parts. I can't separate. Being an immigrant shaped part of my life. Being uh, a graduate of schools, different cities, being married and divorced, that shaped my life. That was one of most important experiences that came to bonding of a family. The hardest task I ever had, and thank God, Joe and I accomplished it, and we have a very close, non-step family. We are together. And remarriage to Joe represented me with a whole bunch of new things. And Joe running for national office was a real challenge and very powerful stuff that you have to learn and be part of and move forward. And, you know, eventually the loss is a loss and you have to accept it and move forward. So, and grandchildren are one of our best gifts, the best opportunities. That's a new experience. We've had it for a few years now. But that, as anyone who's a grand father or grandmother knows is an incredible experience. So it's all together. It it pulls you together. And just being a wife and having a husband or a husband having a wife, that in and of itself is a challenging opportunity of love and patience and gratitude. I um, noticed that you talked about uh, not thinking of your stepchildren as stepchildren and and how do you yeah. how do you do that how do you get past that 
they had a life before you part? By respecting, getting to know them, going through the difficulties of getting to know people. Here you are meeting people you didn't give birth to, and all of a sudden you're going to be living together as one family. And the back and forth of, you know, going to the other parent and staying with you takes time. I once asked a neighbor of mine in Connecticut who had a brother-in-law who was a psychiatrist. And I said, oh, I wanted to ask him, how long does it take to adjust and to have children adjust to a new marriage, a new experience? He said, well, it takes at least five years. So when I heard that, I said, oh, my God, nothing's ever taken me five years. <laughs> it takes, you know, but it takes five years. It takes time. And do you know what the big challenge is? accepting things, you hear things, you can't repeat them, you can't get uptight, and you can't, and think about it, you're marrying someone who has children, and if you get upset with their children initially, and you're learning to get together, you can't talk about that so much, because you hurt someone, you really, they're, they're worried because they want everything to work. So it's just, it's another, it's like life. It always requires boots when you climb up the mountains and walking over rocks. And sometimes the terrain is muddy and icy. We have to work harder because the goal is to make a family come together. So I think, you know, this is, we're not taught these skills because they come upon us. But now that divorce has unfortunately statistically become more common, we really have to teach it as well. And yet at the same time, we don't want to teach it to people who are getting happily married. Can you ever really um, retire from public life? No, Joe, that's a good question. I always (laughs) say to Joe, oh, my God, this is in your blood. You know, you guys' blood has this political stuff. And I don't think, I guess some do it better than others. But Joe always has causes the, you know, it's a different kind of politics when it's not you running for office. But it's it's something that's in their blood, these politics. Oh, I want to share something with you. Yeah, please. Because this was a a moment in the book. On Friday, December 9th, in the late afternoon, we got some good news. The Florida Supreme Court had ordered a manual recount of ballots in the three contested counties. Now, I know some people know this, but others are younger, so they don't. Al wanted Joe and me to be with him and Tipper that evening. Honey was with Joe's mother, so the two of us were driven, along with the Secret Service, to the Naval Observatory, the official residence of the vice president, along with our movable Shabbat feast. We brought the ritual objects used to welcome the Sabbath, candlesticks, candles, kiddush cups, wine, two hollows, and some food. <laughs> Prior to dinner, Joe and I went into the living room to pray. 
when I was done, I noticed their lovely Christmas tree twinkling in the corner. <laughs> Talk about being inclusive. Zipper suggested everyone put their blackberries away in deference to us. It would be easy enough for someone to find us if necessary. Dinner was an intimate affair. Our conversation ranged broadly. We focused less on the election, more on the things for which we are grateful. At the end of the evening, the Gores walked us back to our house, trailed at a respectful distance by our Secret Service detail. The next day, we went to the synagogue for morning services as usual, still hopeful given this most recent turn of events. But by that afternoon, when we learned that the U.S. Supreme Court had agreed to take the case, we were feeling much less optimistic. On the following Tuesday, the Supreme Court handed down its decision to overturn the Florida court's ruling requiring a manual recount in three counties. For the first time in the modern political era, the candidates won the popular vote by more than 500,000 ballots did not win the majority of votes in the Electoral College. So I think I wanted to read it because it sums up what was a long wait and some people lived through it, and others, you know, were meeting people today who weren't born at that point. And, and so you know, I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I really, for, I, I don't want to say I forgot because I didn't forget, but I, it didn't occur to me um, to, to right. remember how historic that election was in 2000. For the very reason you just yes. described beautifully. Yes, it just I had to I had to talk about that, write about that in the book because and also, you know, there have been elections that haven't summed things up right away and there have been different direct different reactions. And we were lucky at that point in time. Yes, we were political candidates in opposition. But at the same time, there was a certain underlying respect that went forward with our parties, with our candidates, and we have to regain that. It's very important because that shows who we are in USA. We're proud of it. What are you and, and Joe up to these days? Are, are you involved in a lot of causes yes well and joe's doing iranian stuff you know helping with all that that political underlying problems and challenges and i'm continuing my work with several of the organizations in town that are helping women of poverty helping all kinds of causes that I've believed in for a long time. And, you know, you're always doing something different depending on the current underlying problem of the day, which unfortunately there are too many of, I think. We'd all like things to be calm. And I was hoping, you know, with all the memories of that I have from my mother with World War II, with her diary, I kept praying that there would be an end to some of this conflict and turmoil. But 
it continues around the world all the time. And I don't know. Do, do you think of it that way? Is that in in many ways it's it's the same flaw that we saw in Germany as we saw in in the U.S. Capitol on January sixth? Is is it part of the the same evil that that always exists? You know, sometimes I worry about that. That that might be a conclusion that some of us take. I don't know. It's so awful because you hope people learn from their mistakes, learn from their history. You know, the old quote about if you don't learn from it and correct it, you'll be forced to repeat it. It's just, look, it's a fear. It's an underlying fear. And that's why we have to take care with our families, our children, our grandchildren, our communities, our country. We have to elect strong, reliable leaders that we can depend on and that can teach us all something that is good and that's positive and that shows the world who we are as Americans. When you were writing the book Hadassah, and, and again I'll mention the name of the book, it's Hadassah, An American Story, um, did you have an audience in mind or was it <laughs> just kind of therapeutic for Hadassah? No, I had well, first of all, finding my mother's diary in which, you know, it was a not a long diary. It, it was as long as she could write it and and I have it replicated in the book. And she said very clearly, look, children, I can't write any more than this. I depend on you to write more. When she said that, I knew the obligation I had, particularly since I was born to people who survived the tragedies of World War II and had come to this country and did everything I needed to and then met Joe. How could I not say tell that story that starts from the dark places and emerges into more light and more and more light. And I always think that the campaign that Joe was in, that we worked together on, was a real accomplishment and a light out of the darkness. So I think that, yes, that's really why I wrote the book representing all the different factions and I hoped that some people who focus not only on background, my background, life history might be interested, but they might also be interested in immigration or they might be sure. interested, you know, in some of the other points. Well, Hadassah, was, it's... It is yeah. a real pleasure talking with you. I feel like we could go on, but we're just about to the end here. Yeah. But I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and Joe and the work you're doing, past, present, and future. Um, do you have a website, Hadassah? I don't, but this book was published by Brandeis University Press. It's on Amazon. And it's also an audio book that I 
I actually read the book for the audio they asked me to. I thought that oh, would nice. be nice. Yeah, so I did that. And they can get it. It's really in bookstores and all over the place. Well, Hadassah, thank you so much, and keep up the good work. Thank you, and good luck on everything. Take care. Thank you. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hopper. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zonjic. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is... This is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the bath. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. 
river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. Tom Sumner Program.com Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. I would like to take you to the opera where you are going to hear a Mozart opera which is nothing but an opera written by Mozart. <laughs> this is an opera in one act, and it begins when the curtain rises. Otherwise, you couldn't see a thing. <laughs> the stage setting is a kind of a forest. There are two large trees, which, of course, indicates the forest. It's a kind of a small forest, but it's a forest. <laughs> First, the tenor comes in. He is supposed to meet his soprano, as they usually call those ladies. But she's a little late this particular season, so he hides himself behind one of the trees in order to surprise her when she comes in a little later, which she does. So when she arrives, she can't find him because he is occupied behind one of the trees. Now, he's with a knife carving her name into the <laughs> scenery. Now, she doesn't know that he is there, but, uh, well, as a matter of fact, she must know it because she saw it during rehearsals. <laughs> Either she pretends that she doesn't know it or she's just plain stupid. Or <laughs> whatever it is, she gets across the stage somehow and takes place behind the other tree, which, for the occasion, hides her. <laughs> to a certain extent. Now, the chorus comes in, but nobody knows why, except Mozart, and he is dead. <laughs> and that's just too bad. Next, her father comes in, and he is a very old man, Primarily because she's a very old soprano. <laughs> and he is very angry because apparently she's not his daughter. Now, this has nothing to do with the opera. I found that out myself. <laughs> and that's what we call research. <laughs> anyway, he decides that he has had enough of her, so he tells her to die, and that's exactly what she's going to do. <laughs> and with that, the opera ends, and people can go home. Now I take you to the opera house, where you hear the conductor's footsteps when he enters the orchestra pit. Here he comes. Yeah, he walks sideways. <laughs> and this is the overture. <laughs> Oh, 
This, ladies and gentlemen, was the first part of the overture. Now you hear the second part, and that's exactly the same. <laughs> This little bloop is an extra bloop. We have in case we shoot one shot of bloops. But that has never happened, so we have a lot of bloops left over. Now the curtain rises and the tenor arrives. He's a little tall fellow, he comes in. He comes in from the left in a single file. He goes behind the tree right away. <laughs> now the leading lady arrives. She is supposed to fill the part of the soprano. Now she not only fills it, she overflows it a little bit. <laughs> She's a big husk, a big, uh, uh, she's a big soprano, that's what she is. She's what we call a messy soprano. She comes in in a single pile. She also arrives backwards, but nobody notices the difference. She goes behind the other tree. She can hardly wait because... See, she is... She supposedly hasn't... She hasn't met him for a long time, so she is just... She's anxious. Now is the time for the chorus. The light is dimmed, so you can hardly see these people when they arrive, and that's why they're dressed in a kind of cheap underwear. Because there is no reason to spend a lot of money for costumes when you can't see them. Right? And that's the way the, way the management of this theater feels about it, and that's the way it's gonna be. <laughs> Here they come. Bread and butter. Now they're all in and they fool around in the dark for a little while. This is a mixed chorus. Bread and butter. Now they're out, they get the money and go home. Next, a baritone comes in and sings, Toreador, Toreador. But he finds out that he's in the wrong opera. Now, the father comes in, the old man, and he is the basso. Thank you. 
almost now told her what he had to say and she understands him quite well so now she prepares herself to die but before she dies she sings an area the so-called die area <laughs> She seems very happy about it. She dies by stabbing herself between the two big trees. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. have been nothing if not vague well then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well unless you want to bid our free society farewell there is a super bad transmittable contagious awful virus and if we don't act quick and social distance it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July a super bad transmittable contagious awful virus and if you got a better cough in your arm, and if you got a better... <coughs> now, back in 1918, influenza had its run. But half the docks were busy overseas with World War I. Today we have mass media and scientists to say, if you don't want this virus, well then stay six feet away. It's super damn important that we practice isolation, because we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation. We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation. It's super damn important that we practice isolation. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart. Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized. Oh, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. If we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine. The last until July, a super bad, transmittable, Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Super bad, transmittable, contagious. From the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah.
pilots, get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. 